The Disciplined Investor is all about you, your money, and the markets. Sit back and get ready for this edition of The Disciplined Investor Podcast. This episode of The Disciplined Investor is sponsored by Horowitz & Company. If you're looking for a portfolio manager, look no further. Horowitz & Company, from seed through harvest, cultivating financial success. Well, I got something. It's not COVID, but man, is this kicking my butt. You got a retail apocalypse, Walmart, Target, Ross stores, seeing crazy rises in the inventory. But there's a silver lining, though. This all could lead to a slowdown in inflation. And we're going to play for you today, uninterrupted, a client webinar. Nothing we've done before. We haven't done this. We're going to do that for you in a minute. All this and much more on episode number 767 of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. Hey, it's Andrew Horowitz here. And like I said, something has got me. I don't know. I've had some fevers and I've had some congestion and a bit of a cough, but the Tests are telling me no COVID, so I'm going along with it. I got to tell you something. I've been talking to a lot of people around town and around the country, and I got to tell you, a lot of people have something going on. This sniffle, this cold, this flu, whatever this is, whatever this is, it sucks. Man, does it suck. But you know what? Maybe it's a good thing getting back to normal where we can actually get something and not fear for our lives that, oh my gosh, we're going to spread it if we go outside and craziness ensues with lockdowns and people freaking out. I'll share with you, though, that I don't think I've been sick really with anything for two and a half years. And once I got this, I started to bug out a little bit. It's a little bit tough on the psyche. The thought that maybe you have something and, oh, my gosh, who am I going to give it to? But like I said, and whether the test is right or not, I don't know. But it told me that the when I did test that the, it's not COVID. So Oh, well, just a flu. Just a flu. But it's lasted about three or four days already. And usually I don't take any time off of work. But there was a day there that I said, you know what? I'm not coming in. So, um, and then when I did come in, I asked everybody to stay home. And we went back and forth with that. This week I was over, last week, I should say, last week, as you know, we played a best of that I thought was great. A lot of Fed rants, discussion about inflation. We have another one packed up for a few weeks from now. But... I uh, got a lot of great commentary from that. Thank you so much for sending in your comments. You could do so at all times, any time of the day or night over on thedisciplinedinvestor.com. Just go there, check it out. On the top right, there's something that says Ask Andrew. You can just easily click the button and uh, ask anything you want. Give me a comment. Tell me a little bit about more about yourself, what you're doing, how you're doing, and maybe um, ask a question that we could answer on the air or if it's something more personal, let me know that as well, and we will maybe attack what's going on with your portfolio, with your investments, and your future. So last week also, I did go to Arizona. This is how my week is. This is how I think, or the last few weeks is. I've had two deaths in the family. My wife's uh, father's wife is her stepmother in a way about three weeks ago, and her father passed away this week. I was in Arizona with my son. We did our annual vacation that we haven't done in years, two or three years. And we went over to Sedona, and then we went over to 
or the plan was to go over to um, the mountains in uh, the Grand Canyon and uh, spend some time there and go to Lake Powell and visit the Horseshoe and have a helicopter ride and jet ski and all this great stuff. Well, um, on Friday morning, a day and a half after I got there, I got the call that my father-in-law had passed away. So we immediately changed up our flights, canceled a variety of things, got on a red eye, spent the day driving because there was a lot of driving to do to get back down to Phoenix, but took the long route. And then we get home and uh, yeah, pretty, pretty, pretty wild couple of weeks here. Hopefully your week has been better. Your weeks have been better aside from probably some pain that you may be feeling in the markets, even if you have a lower amount of equity exposure, as we've talked about in the past, looking at reducing down overall trading size uh, exposure. But you know, one of the things we discovered over the last few months is that there's very little place to hide. Very little opportunity, unless you really put a lot of money into energy, commodities, there was really nothing else. Bonds sold off dramatically come back a little bit recently. Actually, the correlations have finally come back into what looks a little bit more normal over the last couple of weeks. But aside from that, whether it's gold or Bitcoin, whether it is large cap, small cap, whether it is better being value than by long shot being in, in growth, okay, fine. But still, there is really nowhere that you can hide. And with that, uh, we talked a little bit about that on the client webinar this week and discussed the areas of where we are and how we project what's going to happen. And I thought that we would spend today providing you with that because we've never done that before. Really, usually comes out um, afterwards and you have to find it, but never on the podcast. And I thought, even though some of the things we've talked about before here, I thought it'd be a good idea to really bring that to you so you can hear what we're talking about um, with our clients directly. So what we're going to do is just go into that and play that in a moment and uh, have that uh, run directly through to the end, audio only. Of course, there was some video as well with the Zoom meeting. There was some charts and, and a few things, but uh, right now you'll get the gist of it. So let's get right into that, uh, and then um, we'll close the show right afterwards and just end it right there. But I think there's some really good information that you'll grab from this. And good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the Horowitz & Company May 2022 Update and Outlook. I thought we'd spend some time together and answer any questions that you may have and try to deliver to you some of the insights about what is going on with regard to the markets and, of course, the pesky inflation issue, all the things that are going on right now. Um, because there's a lot. Things have changed very significantly over the last 13 weeks where we saw that there was some concern about some gas prices and a war and inflation was kicking up to all of a sudden where we are now that there's an all-out hysteria about not only rampant inflation, but a Fed that's out of control and then taking us directly into a recession. So there's, there's all that is going on right now, and it's, it is really opening up for a lot of questions about what is the outlook, where do we go from here? Let me just say something first. Uh, first of all, thank you all for attending. There's a very long list of people clients that are participating today. And I knew that it would start to be uh, something that was on your minds and you want to talk about once we started to see that excessive volatility, like we saw yesterday again in the markets. You know, it's one thing for markets moving in a direction 
up or down. It's another thing, this, this crazy volatility, which makes for everybody to be somewhat uh, uneasy. And uh, what we're seeing right now with all the different things with regard to the kick up again of COVID in China and the fact that we can't get a decent, um, any kind of decent administrative action here to take care of inflation and the things that they're doing backfire on them, like what they did with re, re, um, the strategic petroleum reserves and pushing those out and now having to refill, which is just going to push up the price of crude oil again. All these things that we've talked about on the various podcasts and individually with you as well, plus in our writings, is all very much alive and well. It's, it's like nothing is, we, we, we're not saying, that, oh, well, that's taken care of. Okay, well, well, that's good now. No, it seems to be getting worse. We have a situation now that's brewing in Taiwan and what's going on with China and what's happening around the world with Iran. And all of a sudden, there's a, a crazy amount of COVID in North Korea. And there's a kick up again here in the U.S. So all these things are creating a great deal of uncertainty right now in the markets. We've seen this kind of situation before. Maybe not all the, well, definitely not all the things that are going on right now. But we've seen uncertainty in the markets. For those of you that have been clients for years and you've been involved in any kind of market condition, you know that we've seen this volatility. The question is, what do we do about it? Now, one of the things I can tell you is that for those of you that are in investology, that strategy, or the Horowitz Company Global Allocations, we have a lightened up position in equity exposure. And I'm going to go through that in a second. And that has served us well because it's knocked down overall volatility and risk. It hasn't eliminated it because, as we'll go into, some of the, some of the, the problems that we have right now are causing a sell-everything moment. We're going to get to that. What I want you to do is there is a Q&A panel that is available on the Zoom interface, and uh, as opposed to the chat, please load up your questions if you have any in there. And what we'll do is we will go through those throughout the discussion today as well as um, afterwards. So make sure to put those in there. Now, before we go any further, we have to, of course, put up these important disclosures. That is not a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Nothing that we talk about is anything more than... Uh, for educational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Of course, please look at everything that we talk about with an eye towards your own personal situation and then think about it before you do it. Nothing we say here, I want you to act on. So take a look at that screen right there. And as we go through this, let me hold on to it for a second. Grab a little tea. All right. Here's the outline of what we're going to talk about today. First of all, the economy. Okay, that's obviously something that we need to talk about because things are changing rather quickly in the U.S. and in the world. And a lot of that has to do with this pesky inflation situation that was brought on, frankly, by what we're talking about. The next one, the Federal Reserve. They did a really poor job. You know, if you've listened to me on my various podcasts, I am really aggravated with these guys. The Federal Reserve has done an incredible amount of damage, incredible amount of damage, because by, by the experiment of leaving interest rates low for too long and now having to go in and actually raise them much more quickly into the teeth of a slowing economy, into the teeth of a war. When's the last time you remember a Fed actually raising rates 
into a wartime environment, even though it's not here, or into a slowing economy. I, I can't remember any. But they want to crush inflation. And not only are they going about it with actual deed, not only are they going about it with say, with, with doing an actual 25, 50, or 75 base point increase, they are smattering their commentary daily everywhere. And that's not great for markets. You once had it fed that we didn't know who the, the players were. We didn't know who it was that was in the background. But now they come out and like they're stars. They're rock stars. Speaking almost every day, getting a free lunch at the Harvard Club, at the Yale Club, and going around to Boston Conservatory, whatever they're going to. They're going to all these various places. And they're having these conversations that are then telegraphed on the news about what they said about this or that. Moving markets almost daily. And one of the problems we have right now is that asset classes have become highly correlated. What that means is everything is being sold. The only thing that really has been holding up this year, 2022, primarily is energy. Whether it's natural gas, whether it's uh, crude oil, some of the energy stocks, of course. We have a lean and a tilt both in the TDI managed growth strategy, a good amount of energy shares in there, as well as in the global allocations and in investology, we have a purposeful tilt towards energy utilities and those value-oriented stocks that have done so poorly over the years, but we decided that we thought that pushing about a year ago or so, pushing more towards the value, which was a much better overall equation, a much better all overall uh, opportunity as growth seemingly was on a nonstop tear regardless of valuation. One of the things, like I said, there's nowhere to hide. They sold Bitcoin, they sold gold, they sold stocks, they sold bonds. They sold pretty much everything that was possible. Some hedge funds are going out of business. Maybe we have some blowups going on there. Margin calls on people on leverage, possibly, I guess. And what that has created is an incredible amount of volatility. And that volatility is what is disconcerting. We know that because the volatility, it, it it prohibits you from making good decisions as an investment advisor, as a money manager, as an individual investor. Because if you have one day, we're up 3% on the markets and individual stocks are up 5-8% and the next day you have them down 5-8%, you know, the problem is there is no direction. Now, obviously, the overall direction has been down over the last few months. We're seeing that one of the worst starts of the year for bonds, clearly for bonds. Right now, if we stopped the year right here in its foot tracks, right here, and we said, okay, let's look at history. The last 40 years, how did bonds perform, inclusive of yield? This, by far, would be the worst year on record. So here we are in a situation where we use bonds oftentimes to uh, create a buffer, a safety net. Now, what we did was we actually moved down our risk by having a lower overall maturity. In other words, bonds that would mature 2 to 5, 7 to 10, not 10 to 10, 20, 15 to 30. We don't have any of those bonds to speak of in our portfolios, and we did that on purpose. And what happens is when interest rates start moving higher, the bonds on the long end, let's call it the 30 years, have a much greater Volatile factor 
they'll move much more and be affected much more than the shorter term. So we purposely brought down our risk. However, as I mentioned before, and I'll mention again, there's nowhere to hide. There's just nowhere to hide. Because even the short-term bonds took a hit. Nothing dramatic, but enough to make you wonder if that's supposed to be my fail-safe or my, my backstop, if that's supposed to be my safety net, what happened? So other risks remain. We know that we have Russian and uh, Russian-Ukrainian crisis. That seems to be uh, not getting any better, nor will it get better. And we have COVID that has been uh, sparking up a bit, particularly in, in uh, Shanghai, Beijing, North Korea now, and some other areas around the, uh, the country. So I talked a little bit about, you know, how, or I mentioned about the economy, that we're going to talk about that, that, that whole discussion. And I think we have to start off with GDP, gross domestic product, because the fourth quarter in 2021, we finished up pretty strong. Now, remember something that you have to look at this as compared to something. And we compare this to a period in time before, because then we have to do the base and then calculate what's the growth. And of course, we got 6.9% off of that base. Well, you start getting pretty uh, grim readings back in 2020, your readings in 2021 are going to look a lot better. Naturally, that's how it goes. Well, we had some really good GDP numbers that, that crossed the tape. No question about that. And when that GDP numbers crossed the tape and they were really good, you have to start thinking about, well, what's going to happen in the future? Can we continue running at these levels into the future? The answer is no, we can't. Not all the time, but right now we can't. We saw that the first quarter of 2022, only one quarter post- is the initial came out last week, a grim number at negative 1.4%. The expectation was for a positive 1.1%. So the point here is not only are we looking at quarter over quarter and saying, oh, you know, probability is that technically we're going to have to see a little bit of relief from the high levels of GDP that we saw as we got back into the groove, reopened, et cetera. From the dire numbers that we saw in 2020, that makes sense. And we think, okay, you know what? We'll continue doing that for a little while. But when we start coming in negative 1.4%, a lot of that had to do with this idea of uh, inventories. And inventories has been something very interesting of late. There was uh, a real drawdown of inventories where the calculation of GDP utilizes inventory levels. So if we have an increase in inventories, it's actually good for GDP. If we have a decrease in inventories, it's actually a negative for GDP. Now, when we saw Walmart and Target, I don't know if you saw any of that, but Walmart and Target, those stocks came in pretty hard over the last couple of days when they came in and said, you know what, we have an excess of inventory. What happened is this ties out pretty well. Inventories were drawn down dramatically because companies were, were fearful of the idea that prices are going to go up. Why not lock in our prices now? We know the supply chain is a big issue. Why not get ourselves into a situation where we can have a backlog of inventory? Therefore, that consumer who is very hot, very anxious to buy things, we're not going to have a situation where we have empty shelves. And then all of a sudden, things turned. One of the problems happened was, of course, inflation, right? That was a big issue. Second thing was that people started pulling back a little bit because they saw what was going on around the world. And with, with that happening, what they did was they didn't buy as much. That's why inventory levels are high at the 
final destination, but low at the manufacturers. Okay, so on May 26th, we're going to get the second estimate, second release of that. I don't expect it to be a lot better. Negative 1.4% in the big picture, nothing nothing terrible. I figured that once the Fed started increasing rates, the possibility and probability of a technical recession, which means two quarters of negative GDP growth is highly likely due to the fact that their intent is to slow down the economy. Everybody is running around, it seems, with their hair on fire because the thought of a recession is coming. There are a lot of different types of recessions. There are recessions that are light and technical. And that is just the nature of how calculations work and how we look at numbers in the economy. Then there are recessions that are just horrible, right? The shutdown recession that happened back in 2020. This recession that was sparked due to the financial crisis back in 2007 through 2009. The dot-com bubble of 2000, 1999-2000, and that lasted a bit uh, that happened. That was, of course, uh, a totally uh, different situation there. Some are deep, some are long, some are shallow, some are short. Where are we now? I think it all depends. One of the things that we do know right now is that at this moment, right now, as we look at this moment in time, unemployment is still under 4%, pretty good. The U6 is at 6.6%. That's the totality of it and the discouraged employees and all that. Still pretty good. The problem here is that our inflation is running really hot. And that's a big issue. So this inflation booger right here, this is a big problem, right? Right there, big problem. Some of you may remember the inflation back in the day, right? Back in the 80s, where you can get CDs at 14%. Interest on in mortgage was like 12%. We had issues with oil back then as well. Right now, inflation is running extremely hot. Now, I need to make sure we're clear about this. Inflation is running really hot for a multitude of reasons right now. Some of them cannot be addressed by the Fed can't. You cannot raise interest rates and expect the bird flu culling that wiped out millions of chickens to change the dynamic of that situation. Interest rate increases doesn't do anything for that. You cannot raise interest rates and expect that the corn and the wheat out of um, the Ukraine is going to start flowing again in the midst of a war. You cannot increase rates and expect the price to go down on supply constraints due to the supply chain issues that are going on with a lockdown in Shanghai. These things are temporary. These things are um, going to pass. The question is, we don't know how long it's going to be. But these things are not addressable by the Fed, even though the Fed thinks they could do so. Again, there's two types of inflation, right? Those can be alleviated and those that can't. But I do believe that some of the temporary inflation that we're seeing right now is going to peak very soon. Now, why do I say that? Because if you remember, back at the beginning of the year, I was calling BS with the Fed talking about how there was um, this transitory crap they were trying to say. Now, ridiculous. I called them out on it. 
And they reversed, not because of me, but they reversed their stance on it and realized, you know what, we're, we're, we're way wrong here. And why, by the way, with the Fed being wrong on their economic projections that happen regularly, they are so off the mark Do we continue to believe them. That's a question for another discussion uh, because they hold the money, that's why. But the, what's happening right now is with our PPI at 11%, CPI at 8.3%, on a year-over-year basis. That's bad. Housing prices. 40% increase in housing prices over the last two years. I mean, that's pretty substantial. So what we have right now is a situation where we're seeing hot PPI, hot CPI at both, both levels, so at the manufacturing level and the consumer level. So PPI is at the manufacturing level. We also saw that inventories were blown out, negative to GDP, but will have to be refilled. So that's going to bring up manufacturing again into a situation where there's an excess of inventory at things like Target and uh, um, and uh, and Walmart, as an example. It's a very strange environment that even the best of the best, the best-in-class companies, management teams, are having a very difficult time navigating. But again, I think much of this is going to be figured out. It's going to take some time. That's all. But we are starting to see that there is some weakening already with the Fed coming in. Uh, both manufacturing and services are starting to slow down ever so much. And that would be reasonable to expect. Um, services, I would think, will continue to maintain as long as prices can stay reasonable, which may not be the case. If you've gone out recently to buy something, whether uh, it's a dinner, movie ticket, whether it's... Um, a rental car, an airplane ride. Unbelievable how expensive things are. But as I've always said, and I'm going to say again, the one thing that cures high prices are higher prices. People will start to say, you know what, enough. We're not doing this anymore. And that's where we're going to start seeing the slowdown. Okay, let's continue on because you have a lot to look at. Uh, GDP, looking at GDP over time. Um, I cut the tops off just to show you because those were abnormal in the bottoms. They were just these were these were crazy abnormal areas, right? The 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 levels on the bottom where we saw in 2020, where we totally just stopped the economy, and then on the top here. So let's just kind of take those top ends and bottom ends and just get rid of them. Normalized inflation and in, I mean uh, GDP in this range, we're starting to see it roll down right here. I don't think that's necessarily going to continue that dramatically unless there's some very serious problems resulting from the war and the pricing that's happening right now. Again, you have to look at where we were. We, we Why do we have this these levels up here? Because we were down here. Why do we have it here? Because we were up here. It's, it's very messy and the numbers are very uh, tough. You know, what you don't want to run into is an elongated period of sub-GDP for a long period of time, you know, three, four, five quarters, like we saw back in 2008. Unemployment rate continues to come down. So that's good. We talked about the 6.6 U6 rate and uh, 3.6 on the uh, the regular rate. Global inflation trends are really kind of, I think, well, ornery, I guess is the best word to describe them. They're pretty ugly. And uh, these are various things like the UK and Canada and China. The blue here is the Canada's CPI year over year. And uh, we're seeing even China start to tick up a little bit here. And Japan, which is negative 5, the longest point, negative 1.5, starting to move positive. Everything is in the same look. This was the demarcation point. What happened? 
Massive amounts of money were dropped on economies around the world. And what did people do? They went out and partied. Or they bought. They spent. The bottom line is they spent. And with all that's gone on with the stimulus and the low interest rates, they should have known that this grand experiment they did was going to cause problems sometime in the future. Now, again, I think that once we get through this, we get the valuations back to, which we're getting really close, I think, uh, to a level that, that seem much more reasonable. There's some opportunities that are opening up that are pretty interesting. Pretty interesting. We've been backing off whether we have a 20% buffer of cash in our TDI managed growth strategy with some little bit of trading here and there, whether we have um, a minus sign on the equity exposure. In other words, we have less than the normal level of equity exposure in our global allocations and our investology purposefully. That will change once we can see a bottoming out happening. And over here on the right is... Uh, Contraction below the, the 50 line or so. This is your contraction right here, actually. Uh, 50 is demarcation right there. This should be down a little bit here. Um, we're still in good shape here. You know, it's, it is dipping from where we were. So what's happening right now? What's the big picture? What's the big play? Why are we seeing all this craziness in the markets right now? Um, because the Fed is coming out hardball. They're coming out, you know, hey, pounding the desk. We're going to do this. We're going to raise rates. You know, there's a saying, don't fight the Fed, right? Okay. A lot of people ask the question, why if the Fed raises rates or if rates go higher, do stocks get adjusted like this? You know, what's happening? Why are they sold? Well, the first part was that money was free for a long period of time, and that caused its own initial problems. But then what we had was a situation where hysteria gripped retail investors. They figured, you know what? Stocks go up forever. Let's just buy at any price. And then reality set in. And then with reality setting in, we realized, you know what? Valuations can't go up like this. We stayed away from a lot of the high flyers. We can't stay like this. And, you know, uh, we have to see more normality back to original. Now, young people are like, ah, you old people, you know, what do you mean? This is a new market, a new environment, a new world, a new economy. We're not going to see recessions. It's all in the past. You know, you guys used to have recessions in the economic cycle. I'm sorry to say, youngins, the fact is, by saying that, you don't understand the dynamic. We go through economic cycles from peak to trough of, of expansion and contraction. It's just a natural thing. And the reason why is because we have individuals, we have, we have people that are making decisions. And as such, they get emotional. So when markets are down, what do a lot of uh, novice uh, traders do? They pull out. And they wait till it's peaking to get back in. That doesn't work for very long. You go bankrupt really quickly that way. But what the Fed is doing right now is playing catch up because they're behind the curve. And when we look at what's going on right now, we have to understand that increase of interest rates translates into lower valuations of stocks. And what's happening now is there's a bit of a hysteria that's going on that's a little bit out of line. A little bit out of line. I, I would venture to say that the Fed is going to recognize that while they need to raise interest rates and they're going to do this for a while, there is no way they're going to be able to raise it to like 3 4%. No way. Just a 25 basis point increase and a 50 basis point increase. That's it. 
sub 1% or call it 1%, is, is laying havoc to markets around the world and not only equity markets, right? I talked to you about the bond markets, gold markets, sell everything. So some of this is, is probably due to the excess amount of margin and leverage people had. We can wait through this. Being as conservative, we really put, put ourselves out on into this uh, environment and didn't get too aggressive into that big move up in 2021 because, frankly, it looked like it was full of holes. However, if we can stabilize where we are now, it doesn't mean it's tomorrow or the next day or a week from now or a month from now, but if we can get stabilization at a reasonable level and valuations come back and we don't have to worry about it being a free money fiasco, I think we could up our equity exposure. I think that will be the time. So right now, Treasury uh, yields are pushing higher, 2.81%, 2.84%. We're not inverted right now, but just look at this. This is the assets and trillions that were bought through quantitative easing, $9 trillion, and uh, doubled up in uh, 2020. And here's the Fed funds rate that moved up on the this axis over here. So it's 75 to 1 right now. Supposedly, we're expecting 10 hikes for 2022. I don't know. Right now, we did three already, and it's craziness. So year-end Fed funds rate, 250 to 275. Uh, I don't think so. I think maybe, well, I'll go with that on the outside probably. Probably about 225. But the probability of hiking higher rates is backed off due to the prevailing economic conditions. So there is what you have. They're going to weigh the head fund, the headwinds. Weigh the headwinds before removing too much liquidity. That's an important issue because now what they're doing is trying to reduce down the liquidity that they pushed into the markets by doing quantitative tightening or rolling off the bonds they purchased and not being a buyer. So what you're looking at here is, very quickly we'll go through this, is the uh, next meeting dates and the probabilities that are assigned using Fed Fund Futures to look at where the most probable Fed move is going to be. So let's go down to uh, June. 92% probability they're going to raise by a half a percent. That's what this is saying right here. Here, 88%. In July, they'll move another half a percent. Now we start coming down a little bit. September, only a 50% chance of a, another hike, 50 basis points, and it goes down from there. This has been changing like daily. So I don't, again, necessarily think we're going to get to that. Uh, I think we'll get somewhere right about here, September, November. Let me even skip one. Or maybe back it off to 0.25. We'll have to see. Here's the odd treasury yield curve that you see. This is not normal. Normal is, I would say, that a normal S-curve. So that looks kind of normal, right? 2021, kind of normal. We're moving higher along the, you know, a three-month, a six-month, a one-year. Three years higher than a one-year. And oops, that was a bad go. Here is odd. Here we're flat top. So the Fed has pushed up yields dramatically. Again, the biggest move from two to three here, 50% move right here. You know, we have a 50% move right here. It's all relative on this. 
the biggest moves are, are pretty much the fat of this um, has been moving up quite aggressively. And you look at this and you have to say, well, probably the two-year, three-year is the one that moved the most, right? From 0.5 to 2%. There's a quadruple on that. And what's happened is that has, again, caused a lot of people to reassess the valuations of things. So one of the things I mentioned earlier was this whole idea that asset classes have become very highly correlated, meaning they're all moving together. Usually what you have a situation is market's not good. Well, gold may move up or Bitcoin may save the day or um, bonds may move up when stocks move, move down or vice versa. Or you may see something like, you know, the idea that when energy starts coming down, the whole market comes down. Uh, but we're not seeing that because what we've seen is asset classes just being sold, just being sold. And that is isn't is a time when there's panic. And a lot of times you'll hear on TV, oh, it was a very orderly selling process. Orderly selling process with a thousand points down on the down on the Dow. Are you kidding me? Please. The VIX is above 30. That's a big issue right now, meaning that there is expected to be high volatility over the next couple of weeks to month. And one of the big issues that we're dealing with right now, and that is really a problem, is right here. The traditional safety trades have failed in 2022. Now, I will share with you, it's not like all hope is gone. The correlations or the negative correlations or the relationship between the asset classes will actually come back eventually. They always do. But right now, where there was a need for liquidity, maybe cashing out, get your hands on your money, I got to do something, where everything was going down and people panicked, well, over the last week or so, I started mentioning on Twitter, hey, you know what? I'm noticing that there is a better look to the treasury markets, the bonds. They're getting a bid as markets are coming down. What's happening is we went from 3.1% on the 10-year treasury, what, about a week ago or two weeks ago, down to uh, 2.75. It's a big move. And that's because markets are coming in. The safety trade is to buy bonds, to buy fixed income, to buy treasuries, which are the safest instrument in the world, backed by the full faith and credit of the United States, for whatever that's worth. And what you have there is a situation where that's starting to work again. What's also interesting is seeing that, um, you know, you look at foreign emerging and domestic bonds in various sectors are showing a downside of, of 10% possibly in 2021 already. Again, I mentioned that at the top, right? We're seeing one of the worst bond years ever. It's not only because yields are coming up, which is part of it, but it's also because there's just a, a need, there was a need to just get out at any cost. The lower duration bonds, which we have a chunk of, that is the majority of what we have in our global allocations and in our Investology portfolios, the Schwab portfolios and the portfolios at TD Ameritrade are, um, are, are, are doing much better. However, they're still down, you know, two, three, four percent when you would expect them to be flat to up, especially if there's some interest rate that's helping there. Now, the good news is that our alternative strategies are showing lower cor correlation. They are working. They have been working. They continue to work. So right now, even gold is just, it's holding up kind of okay. Silver, okay, but not great. Not great. 
The dollar is moving in weird ways. That the other currencies are moving. It's it's a very strange environment that we're gonna have to live through, because it's not like we could go anywhere. Yeah, can we go cash? Yeah, we can go cash, but that has its own problems. Now right, let's get to the next slide. And this is the correlation matrix I was talking about. You look at, for example, uh, a one-to-one correlation. Let me do some highlighting, right? So the SPX and the SPX has a one correlation. I mean, it moves the same because it's the same instrument, right? So think of it this way. If the SPS moves up one, the mirror is up, moves up one, right? It just, just moves together. Now, let's take this, let's take this whole line right here all the way down. Let's look down, down, down this way. Okay, the SPX. It has a one correlation exactly correlated. It moves exactly up and down, same amount as the S&P 500. 0.92 of the NASDAQ. 0.73 of the Russell. 0.9 of the real estate. Fortunately, we have a negative correlation right here with commodities. But when it comes to EFA, Europe, Australia, Far East, emerging markets, a little bit better, a little bit better. But still, everything is positively correlated. Everything is positively correlated. And if you notice, pretty much this entire chart is showing us exactly what we said earlier. That while the tips are only a 0.46 on this, they're still highly correlated to the Russell, um, you know, as, as a positive. The only thing they're negatively correlated for or with is the commodity index. A little bit less with emerging markets, which is good. But my point is, it's been very difficult to find any spot that's an area for safety. So volatility is on the rise. We know this, right? We, we we're, there's, it, there's nothing new here. We know this. So um, we see this kind of creeping up to levels that are peaks, right? We'll look at the dates on these. We'll look at these peaks. Usually when you see these big shot peaks like this, they roll pretty hard. We saw a little bit of a roll here last week, come below the average. There's the 50-day moving average on this. Um, you know, we'd expect this to come down. It is definitely on the rise, though. So volatility is on the rise, and why we're seeing such incredible amounts of concern. And then that's translating with this volatility, and even with the 3.6% unemployment rate, which is fascinating. If you think about it, we have people working. People are doing well. What's the one thing that's not going well? Hmm, let's think about it. Huh? Uh, well, mm, the markets. Look at the impact the markets have recently, right? From August 21 to now, but really this big drop here. Consumer confidence has been coming lower. Listen, we saw this. We know this right here. This was back in COVID days, right? When everybody's locked down. Wow, think about that. Think about that. Consumer confidence based on the University of Michigan Consumer Confidence Index. When we were all locked down and worried about if we're going to die tomorrow, was above 70 Today, we're below 70, right? Wow. Wow. So this is translating potentially into why we're seeing some of the people change their spending habits right now, not buying the outdoor barbecues, the Maytag washers and dryers, the big ticket items, the refrigerators, all that. And they're going for other things like experiences. They're going for things like birthday gifts and going to parties, Buying dresses again, tuxedos, suits, socks, long pants. Change in, 
all this, this whole lockdown pandemic, forget the war, forget all that. Boy, is it throwing a real monkey wrench into more normality, normality of the economic cycle, normality of how we deal with people, how we work with people, how we, how we, uh, you listen, I got a cold. I got a cold a few days ago. You could probably hear it. I was freaking out. Oh my God. What if it's COVID? Turns out not to be. I tested and I'm negative. But point is, you know, our heads are kind of a little screwed up here. And there's a lot of YOLO going on. There's a lot of FOMO going on. There's a lot of changes to our daily habits of what we want to do, how we want to do it, who we want to do it with. That's going to continually change and morph, I think, for a long time to come. But what we have right now is still some risks. And again, until I see these abate is when we're going to consider upping the ante. But right now, it's not there. We still have COVID lockdown in China. I mean, pretty ugly, right? In the Shanghai port, one of the biggest ports in the world, shut down. Supply chain issues, a problem. I don't know how they're ever going to get over what's going on over there with this zero policy. They have one person that walks into town off a boat in, in from, from the Olympics, and they give it to another person, and that spreads dramatically. Until they get a good vaccine, until they get herd immunity, I don't really understand how China's ever going to get beyond this. Question is whether we're going to have further escalations in the Russia-Ukraine conflict. We're talking about Europe, which is heavily reliant on fuel, um, uh, gas, natural gas, and, and, and oil. From uh, Germany, he's got, I think, 40% reliance on, on Russia, which is just dumb. Nuclear probably has to be brought back, but they won't over there because they're just all afraid. Even as one of the cleanest energies out there, they're afraid. And they've pushed themselves into a corner in Europe. Diesel prices are off the charts right now. There's a lot of gouging. There was a recent bill that was passed tonight about the anti-gouging on, uh, on, on fuel. We'll see if that does anything because I, I, I doubt it will. But the um, question about whether NATO is going to be for Finland and Sweden right now and how that may impact the relations or lack of relations we have with Russia. Yeah, Putin's, I, I'm not going to get into the whole political thing, but none of this makes any sense to me. Let's just say that. But what that's doing is adding insult to injury on top of what's going on with regard to lockdowns in China, the slowdown due to a Fed-induced recession that will be coming. Again, it doesn't have to be a, a bad recession, just a technical recession. Um, the fact that we have uh, higher prices and inflation that's off the charts, all this, let's just hope, but I don't think they will because they just make mistake after mistake. They don't have a policy mistake where they continue to increase rates at a rate that just totally drowns out the economy. That would be very sad. The big issue continues to be supply chain disruptions. And um, there's no, right now we don't know where the next problem lies because what's happening is that we're seeing um, out of nowhere this, again, this COVID lockdown in, in, in Shanghai. What happens if something happens in Vietnam, Taiwan? That they have to slow down the roll and maybe chips aren't being processed and made there or, you know, the... Foxconn factories are closed down and Apple has some problems or, you know, go through the process and think about what it is. That people are tired of waiting for whatever goods that they had bought, cancel the orders, buy something else, throw the entire system into a, a, just a, a, a terrible uh, 
problem where the uh, players like the end uh, sellers, whether the Walmart or some other Caterpillar deer, whatever it is, are not able to keep up with the change because they're unable to uh, get the goods they need or the products they need. Continuing uh, political divide in the U.S., just look at what's going on with Twitter right now. This is something that's brand new. This is something that I looked at uh, several times. It was brought to me by colleagues. The idea of investing in a stable coin that was paying 6 to 8%. And I said, please explain it to me. They try to explain it to me. I'm like, I don't understand. I, why? I don't understand. How is it that I'm getting 6 8 10%? Well, we leverage it up and we send it out and people use it and they use it to short Bitcoin and utilize the leverage up their own accounts. I'm like, well, what happens if this doesn't work out? Like, for example, what happens if this stablecoin XYZ, all of a sudden the Bitcoin comes down in value, this leverage just disappears, people are getting margin calls, you have to sell everything. What happens to the stablecoin? Who's backing it? Oh, good question, they say. It's being backed by XYZ stablecoin. I'm like, well, who is that? This week, we saw Luna and we saw uh, Terra. Terra stablecoin, which was supposed to be pegged at $1 per coin, is now trading at $0.07 cents and will soon be pretty much blown out. Who is behind it? They spent billions of dollars trying to prop it up. Unfortunately, once we get into these kinds of situations, this is, um, there's a great, there was a great, meme about exactly how these things work. It was very simple. When I asked the question, how does this work? How does this provide all this incredible amount of interest and all that? And how does it work? It was a picture of a power strip. Imagine a power strip. And the plug itself was plugged in to the power strip. In other words, the plug was plugged into itself. And that's how it was generating all this stuff. Stupid, right? So this stuff is blowing up. And crypto, there's still some benefits to some crypto. I have no problem with uh, some of the majors uh, as an investment, as a speculative investment. But some of the other things down the line, kind of crazy. So here's our outlook and plan. And then we're going to get to some questions real quickly. Global allocations, the Schwab portfolios. We're going to continue with our value tilt, which I know portfolios are down. But may I just say to you, and I hate talking in relative terms, my goodness, if we didn't have that value tilt, if we didn't have the short-term bonds in there, if we didn't have alternatives, this would be ugly. This all worked out except for one thing, that correlations went to one. Correlations are not supposed to be doing what they do, as I've mentioned three or four times already. Bonds were not supposed to be, when I say supposed to be, under almost any circumstance, you can look back 50 years. Take it as a hit like it is. Now, I know interest rates went up and bonds, that's why we went into the lower duration. That We, we, we saw the, the potential for a higher level of overall uh, rates coming. But what we are going to do and we're committed to do is bring risk back to a neutral from an under-risk position whether you're in Schwab and you have a global three, a two, a five, four, one, whatever you're in, you're still backed off a bit. Investology at TD Ameritrade are automated. I don't know, it's not fully automated, but it's uh, our, our advisor crafted and technology enhanced uh, 
model portfolios that we do, still with the value tint, tilt. We're going to be rebalancing the model very shortly, like we do with our global allocations as well. Uh, we're going to continue with our low duration maturity bonds until we can see such time that there is a let up in the interest rate hiking regime. And our TDIMGS, which has uh, been suffering this year, which we would think it would. What's fascinating about this, though, is, and, and I keep on looking at this and I keep on going over it and looking to refine it, but we have an incredible amount of really good, high-quality equities, individual equities in there. They're getting hit with the market, but I will tell you, we have margins that are looking stupendous. And what's funny is we're at a full amount, relatively, of equity exposure right now, which is not good, by the way. Um, but the stocks that we do have are continuing to show really good promise overall. The tilt is to energy, just naturally by those companies that are making the most money uh, in this environment right now. We have a cash buffer in there. We've increased the criteria or at least the structure of what it would take to get in the portfolio. I'm still telling you, even though I've toughened it up, we're still getting a lot of stocks that make it through because there is still a great opportunity. What's happening right now is there is a re-rating of the values of stocks overall, which I think is to some degree overdone. Some degree overdone. But yeah, we're in a situation where, you know, we're seeing major, I mean, you're seeing, you're seeing gross stocks down 60, 70, 80%. We don't have a lot of those, but you know, you're seeing a lot of that happen. And I, I see portfolios that people send me every day to look at. I'm like, oh my. That's a little rough, a little rough. So there's our outlook right now. Uh, very basic. If you want to talk about it, of course, call me. I will talk to you about it. We'll go run through it. Let's get into some questions and answers. Please do me a favor. Put your Q&A in the Q&A panel, and I will get to all these. Um, right away, no question is too small. No question is too small. Any thoughts, comments, whatever you want to say, please do me a favor. This runs better if it's not just me talking. All right, a little more tea. All right, let's start with the first. We only have three or four questions, so. Um, question, any idea why gold is not going up in the current environment? You know, that's, that's, uh, uh, is it, the question is, I'm sorry, let me read it again. Any, any idea why gold is not going up in the current environment is due to dollar we, uh, strongness, dollar strength. Um, I, I think a little bit of that, but, I also think that, again, they sell everything except for energy. Um, there was an alternative for a while. It was Bitcoin slash crypto. Everybody's like, well, that's the digital gold. Let's do that. We're going to buy that. When in fact, when you look at what's gone on, um, gold is a much better long-term hedge. I know that Bitcoin has gone up a hell of a lot. I get it. Ethereum, I get it. Even Dogecoin, I understand. But... If we look back into the length of time that what has been around, there's still something to be said about a, a, a tangible commodity. There's something to be said about that. Um, and yes, I think it's due to dollar strength. I don't think that's going to maintain forever. I really don't. As a matter of fact, we're, we're calling for a dollar to start coming in a bit. In addition to that, I think it was just to sell everything. We saw this back in the, the, the depths of the despair back in 2020 where everybody was just selling. It didn't matter. Just sell they weren't thinking straight, just sell. And then gold started to make a nice comeback. So uh, I still like gold. Okay. 
Next, we uh, expect commodity energy to do better till the Fed is done with quantitative tightening. You know, you wouldn't expect that to happen. I think it's all about the war right now. I don't think quantitative tightening necessarily has implications on some of these commodities. If you think about it for a second, if they are trying to slow down the economy, you would think that less people will be driving and you would think that, uh, that that fuel costs should go down overall. Less things are being bought, therefore less trucks needed. So with quantitative tightening, in theory, we should actually see a reduction in prices on commodities. However, if you really look at what's going on around the world, the whole crap that's going on in Ukraine with Russia, Russia being a major exporter, not to mention Saudi Arabia grabbing us by the cojones and squeezing because they can. OPEC is squeezing all of us. They figure, you know, we had uh, this really tough time during COVID where oil went to negative $40 a barrel. Remember that? We are going to make up for this right now. No wonder the Saudi Aramco, the uh, company that is the uh, Saudi Arabian oil drilling um, consortium, that IPO'd a few years ago is back to the number one largest company in the world, taking over from Apple once again just last week. They like that. They'll probably spin off, do IPOs, take money out of it, do all sorts of things to uh, try to get them to continue to make maintain that slot, especially if they're talking about trying to utilize some of that for the country themselves as they realize that their oil days are numbered. Problem is that we decided that, hey, wouldn't it be a great idea to go totally electric and stop with the fossil fuels? And so the Biden administration comes in. Yeah, I'm blaming them. Biden administration comes in and says, you know what? Let's put it all down and we're going to wipe out the use of fossil fuels. Oh, it's just bad, 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 bad legislation. Just bad idea. Slowly break us into all this over time. It was years. It's been, it's been 100 years we've been doing this. You need to do it slowly. Otherwise, you'll break something, which they did, on top of the fact of Russia taking advantage and OPEC taking advantage. Next question. Do you expect housing to go down by 20%? Is it, is it, is it going to be area-specific? Ah, great question. I talked about this on one of my podcasts recently. I think it was a Disciplined Investor, or maybe I talked about it, or maybe both on DH Unplugged. The idea of... Um, you know, we have something called selective isolationism that we're doing right now. This is a concept where we are going out and saying, you know what? We don't want good from you, good from you, good from you, good from you. And, and this country by country is doing this. It's the inverse of globalization. And what we're doing right now is we are trying to figure out if we can go it alone and if price will work and the hell with globalization because look where it gets us. Somebody just decides to squeeze us, we're in trouble. Well, the same thing is happening with housing. The, the selective areas are something we need to watch and, and, and look at very carefully because right now we're in an environment that the selective nature of where we live is not as important as it was from the perspective of where you work. Right now you can work from anywhere, anytime, in doing anything. The idea of having remote work has changed the dynamic. And so you question whether you want to live in some cold area in Wyoming or you want to move to Texas. Or you want to move from Chicago because you have, you know, cold weather 
you know, a difficult situation going on there with um, the government uh, in terms of uh, police and crime. Uh, and then on top of it, there's a big taxi pay and coming out of Florida. Man, it's warm here all the time. And wow, no tax, no state tax. So there are those things that are going on. I think it's really important to understand that when we look at this with regard to the, the idea that housing prices will go down and should adjust, I still believe that areas that are not as favorable for people to be looking at on a selective basis are going to have more trouble. Those areas that have higher taxes, crime, uh, weather issues, during the next market correction, we'll have a lot more problems. Yes, I do, I do think so. 20%? 20% will take us back to where we were last year. So, okay, let it happen, right? I mean, <laughs> housing's up 40% in the last two years. Crazy. Next question. What do you see happening with crypto going forward? Oh, that's a, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a really interesting question. That's a, that's a really interesting question. As you know, I've never been the biggest fan of crypto. I've been a really, really, really big adversary to Michael Saylor, who I think is a genius, but a lunatic. MicroStrategy is his company. I've had experience with him over the last 20 years. He does things that are spooky dooky. And what he did here was he basically bought in to the, the um, uh, Bitcoin onto the asset sheets, onto the uh, balance sheet of MicroStrategy. Take a look at MicroStrategy stock. Why don't we? MicroStrategy stock. Let's take a look. Uh, MicroStrategy stock. Let's come and go out a little bit. MicroStrategy stock was... Um, Oh, something like uh, eight, uh, $750, $750. So now it's down 62% year to date because these maniacs think they know everything about everything and they start doing these crazy deals that, oh, there's only gonna be 21 million Bitcoin out there. And, you know, we have 18 or 19 million that have been mined already. And, you know, now we're getting into a situation where there's environmental issues and um, all sorts of other problems with hacking. And I think that we're going to probably see the end of some of these crap coins and be left with a few. Now, what happens from there? I don't know. Do we ever get the Beanie Babies back? Maybe. We'll take time, probably. You know, if the use case for Bitcoin, Ethereum come, and if the NFTs slash metaverse come, good opportunity there. I, I definitely think you're going to see a lot of volatility, but the liquidity is so thin also that anything can happen. Last question we have, do you have any insight into what's happening in Venezuela beyond their oil? And they're also taking steps toward privatization. I know we're, we're talking somehow we don't want to buy oil in the U.S. from Russia, from a horrible dictator, but we're more than willing to buy from a horrible dictator in Venezuela. I, I, I don't understand the logic. Really, I don't. It, it seems to me that it's just, I don't even know. It's just so stupid. Um, I, I, You know, the whole idea of these countries like El Salvador thinking that they can prop themselves up by buying Bitcoin is just, these countries are the ones that have defaulted many times in the past. The Venezuelans, they've defaulted. Argentina, 
defaulted. El Salvador, defaulted. Half of the Latin American countries have defaulted. And we're looking to them? I don't know. Seems kind of futile. Futile. We need oil. That's the fact. We need oil. But there's got to be better ways. You know, incentivize drilling in the U.S. somehow better. Open up the pipeline again. I know some of you are thinking, oh, my God, don't get political with me on this. Let's talk about pricing. Let's talk about pricing and logic. Do I want to drill on uh, in the oceans and destroy sea life? No, no. Do I want to have drilling where we're causing problems to our land, to our climate? No. But at the same time, how do we do it all right now? We got to make some tough choices right now. And then we'll get back in the fold, right? I mean, somehow we need to get back to normality or else this whole thing is going to blow up right in front of us. Can't have that happen either. Can't have that happen. So I think that there's, um, I think, I think you know, there is a, a very fascinating situation that's going on right now with regard to us trying to get oil from anywhere we can, but I don't know. Again, swapping one dictator for the other. We have to have independence like we had back in 2019. Uh, question, do I think that the immense equity sell-off is part of the Russian-Chinese communist conspiracy? Eh, it's possible. You know, I've always thought that Putin was really smart. He probably shorted the markets and then did some crazy stuff with calling for war or whatever. China is doing some crazy things in the world and shorting the markets and then, you know, going long and throwing out all sorts of uh, crazy amounts of stimulus. And Russia will, you know, collect as much as they can, push energy prices as much as they can, and then I guess close all the short positions, options, and futures, and then go long, and then call the war over, and then just, boom. Is it possible? I wouldn't put it past them. I wouldn't put it past them. Is it um, part of this? I think it's really about, I, I honestly do think that all of this is interrelated. The biggest issue right now is the Fed. Most people don't have an idea of um, of 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 how what what the markets what the world looks like with a higher rate regime, increasing interest rates. Most people under forty have no clue what it means to have higher rates, and they think that two percent is high high rates. Again, I remember the days that I would go with my mom and get a CD every month for fourteen percent or so. Those were good. Those were good times. Good times. All right, this is definitely the last question. Uh, with fuel prices being high and moving up so quickly, any thoughts on ways to hedge? Any thoughts on ways to hedge? Do you think we're going near the high point on oil prices? There's a lot of different oil issues. It's not just it's, it's not just our oil. It's palm oil from Indonesia that's being shut off. It's issues with all sorts of commodities, and and it's the entire. It's like all of a sudden everybody's eating, drinking. Uh, driving, flying, like to levels we've never seen before, which isn't true. We've had it before at these levels. Um, any thoughts on ways to hedge? Well, the hedging would be technically to have a uh, slight hedge, would be to have um, in, in the portfolio uh, a lean or a tilt towards value and energy positions. That's one thing. Um, to personally hedge, you know, it's not like you can go out and if you want to, you can buy fuel, I guess. Buy a barrel. I mean, my boat takes 400 gallons. I guess I could fill that up with fuel. We just filled up a little bit. Today, it was $5.59, but didn't fill it up like we usually do, which is usually at $3.50. Um, I think we're getting near towards the high point, but, 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 if 
If this administration doesn't make some smart moves moving forward, we're going to have some problems. We need to make some smart moves. That's the bottom line in all this. So once we do that, maybe we could have a significant uh, drop in oil prices. But, you know, that's going to be hampered by the fact that we have to refill the strategic oil reserves, which is, you know, being telegraphed, which we knew was going to happen. Crazy. All right, hopefully that answered all your questions and uh, hopefully give you some insights in what's going on. Any questions you have, of course, you can contact me at any time. We'll have this recording up uh, probably next week. I want to thank you very much for, for joining me today. Again, any questions you have, always reach out. Thanks so much. I'll see you. Nothing discussed in this podcast should be considered a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Past performance is no indication of future results. In addition... The information presented is not intended to be used as a sole basis of any investment decisions, nor should be construed as advice designed to meet the individual needs of any particular investor. Nothing herein constitutes legal, accounting, or tax advice, or individually tailored investment advice. Remember, investing involves substantial risk. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results and a loss of original capital may occur. No one receiving or accessing this information should make any investment decision without first consulting his or her own personal financial advisor and conducting his or her own research and due diligence, including carefully reviewing any applicable prospectuses, press releases, reports, and other public filings of the issuer of any securities being considered. Please consider this for educational purposes only. As always, use your best judgment when investing. Horowitz & Company, Inc. is registered as an investment advisor with the state of Florida, and conducts business in other states where it is properly registered or is excluded from registration requirements. Registration does not imply any level of skill or training.